0: Hi there, and welcome to our show, The Shit No One Tells You About Writing. I'm Bianca Murray, and I'm joined by Carly Waters and Cece Lira from PS Literary Agency. Today's guest is the author of the novels Confession, The Last Cowboy, and Make Believe Love, which was nominated for the Trillium Award for Best Book in Ontario. He also published the critically acclaimed story collection Going to Cuba and wrote the award winning screenplay for Paris or Somewhere. He is the program director for creative writing and business communications at the School of Continuing Studies, University of Toronto. His latest novel, The Beautiful Place, was published in 2021. It's my pleasure to welcome Lee Gowan. Lee, welcome
2: to the show. Thank you so much for inviting me, Bianca. It's really wonderful to be here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So for our listeners, I have been a creative writing instructor at the School of Continuing Studies at the University of Toronto. Lee is a program director there and so I've worked with him quite closely and learned a lot from him over the years. So it was very exciting for me to get to invite him on, to get to chat a bit about his latest novel and to pick his brain about beginnings and endings. So Lee, will you just tell our listeners a bit about your latest novel before we dive into the meaty
2: craft stuff? Okay, The Beautiful Place, it took me 12 years to write, so it was a long time between beginning and ending. That's the thing that stands out in my head the most. How do you sum up a novel in few words? I always say it's a sequel to the novel, As For Me and My House, an old Canadian prairie classic about the Dust Bowl years, about a minister and his wife in a small prairie town during the dirty 30s. But The Beautiful Place is a novel about his grandson. Whose name is only Bentley, and he's only ever known as Bentley, and he is the sales manager of a cryonics firm in Toronto, in fairly contemporary times. So it it has some science fiction elements, although the world that you meet in the novel, besides cryonics, is pretty much like the one that we all know around us. And he's going through some tough times. His marriage is dissolving, and it's his second marriage, and he meets a mysterious woman who comes to him in his office and wants to rescue her husband's head from the cryonics facility, which is called The Beautiful Place. His ghost came to her and told her that he wanted to be buried properly.
0: Wow, that is quite the premise, Lee. I absolutely love it. Could you tell us why it took 12 years? Was it just such a difficult story to kind of work through? Was it 12 years of constant writing and revising? Or was it, you know, planning and life got in the way, etc, etc.?
2: Oh, it was uh, 14 drafts, so it wasn't constant, but it was fairly constant. I was working on it all of those 12 years, certainly. I, I mean, it was just, I couldn't find a publisher, for one thing, and I guess in the end I have to say that that was because the novel wasn't good enough yet, because I'm really happy with the way it finally ended up. It just took me a long time to get to the ending and to get to the beginning, which I guess is the the uh, subject of our talk today.
0: Yeah. And it's so interesting what you've said there, because so many of our listeners feel like, okay, I've spent a year on this novel. I've banged it out. Boom, let's send it out and try and get it published. And it's so difficult to know when the story is done, because obviously there were points along the process that you thought it was done. And you had sent it out and then it got rejected and then you realized it wasn't done. So can you speak a bit about that process of going through and knowing when it really is polished and when it really is done?
2: Sure. I the process is just one of rejection, in a sense. That's, one of the, that's sort of the test that tells you when people don't respond to the book. And really, the journey through the novel was very difficult. I had, as you mentioned, published a few novels before and never had such a difficult time. But with this one... I didn't get good responses from readers, my beta readers, as they call them now. Anybody who I had read the book along the way, people had uh, things that they disliked about it all the way along. And, but I still really liked it myself. So there was just something in me, although there were times, there were times when I wanted to give up on it entirely that I thought, oh, maybe this isn't going to work. Maybe I should move on to another novel. Or maybe I should just give up altogether, but <laughs> I always came back to it before very long. And I just kept trying to find ways to improve it and listening to the feedback that I was getting from different readers. And in the end, as I say, I think I'm I feel really happy with the novel. And now the feedback I get about it is the best. In some ways, some of the best feedback I've ever had. People really, really like the ending, for instance, they really enjoy that. And that was one of the most difficult things for me to find.
0: Wonderful. And you know there's been a lot of talk on on Twitter the last few weeks about people leaving publishing in droves, editors leaving publishing becoming agents, agents leaving publishing and going somewhere else because of the huge pressure that is now put on editors who have very little time to edit books, which means that more and more pressure is now put on agents and their books pretty much have to be perfect before they can go to editors whereas in the past that's what editors did. They books and they made them perfect and now they pretty much have to be perfect there and it puts so much more onus on the writer and on their agent to make sure the book's as perfect as it can be and writers are going well how the hell are we supposed to get it perfect if we can't get help from an editor etc but what Lise just said is really excellent advice is you know just keep finding more and more beta readers and as you are improving things that previous beta readers didn't like send out to new ones you know and make these critical people don't make these nice beta to readers who are going to say, I love everything you do, because that's not helpful. And then hopefully once, you know, you stop getting complaints, things that people dislike, then that means you're pretty close to it being as good as it can be. Okay, Lee, will you dive into the advice you have for our listeners on beginnings? And we'll see if we can get time to endings. If not, we'll record that for another day.
2: Okay. Well, I mean, I was thinking about beginnings in a few different ways in that there are a lot of beginning writers who wonder, well, uh a novel, that's a very daunting task. Where do I start? And my advice there would be just to start with this book. And and this is advice to myself right now, because I've just finished a book and I haven't started writing the next project, which is a pretty edgy time in a writer's existence, where you're trying to figure out what that next book will be. What I did for this book was I just started writing some scenes that I had no idea really much what the story was just that I liked the scene there were there were scenes that in one way or another either from life or in other ways came to me and I started writing them down and at that point I was just calling the novel something and for the first couple years I think the novel was called something because I didn't know what it was so that's my first piece of advice just start writing Secondly, uh, specifically about finding the beginning of your novel, I think it's important to remember how important beginnings are to an agent or to a publisher. I, I just had a, an editor in a, in a meeting for one of our students' certificate final projects, and she was telling the student how you need to make that beginning as good as possible because the an agent or an editor are only looking for reasons to reject the novel they don't they're not looking for reasons to accept it they're looking for reasons to reject it so it has to be perfect so beginnings are incredibly important for that reason and what most writers will find you hear time and time again is that As I said, I just started writing, and then I found what I thought was the beginning and became the beginning of the novel for a few iterations, quite a few iterations of the novel, but it didn't end up being the right place to start. In fact, the real beginning of the novel ended up being a scene that was about page 98, and that's so often the case that it's it's page 98 you suddenly realize oh i need to start the book here and that came out of again of one of my readers said to me uh i don't really i don't really believe that this guy is that depressed so i don't see what the stakes are in the book so i decided that the book needed to begin with a scene where he goes down to the basement and he finds this gun of his grandfather's that from the second world war, a handgun and sets it out on the table. He puts a shell in and all of a sudden the phone rings and it's his daughter on the phone. So that, that, that ending I think works because it introduces his situation, the daughter, and it introduces us to him at that moment where we know what's at stake. His very life is at stake, that he's kind of given up on everything.
0: And that's such, such good point you've had there because I've realized that I have never, ever started a novel in the right place. Not one of my novels was that was the beginning that I wrote, the beginning that ended up being printed. And, you know, people who listen to the podcast get frustrated because when we are querying their opening pages, we often go, we're not sure that this is the beginning. So for those of you out there who that's the case, most of us are like this. And we recently interviewed Marlon James, who said that in most of his books, the beginning ends up being page 300 or 400. So that tells you something. So yeah, excellent advice there, Lee. And sometimes reverse engineering is the best way to, to get back to where the beginning really is and tying it in to those stakes is, is critically important. Okay. Handing it back to you. What else?
2: Well, I guess maybe the final thing to say about the beginning is connected to the ending, that it's it's impossible to find the ending until you actually get all the way to the beginning, until you actually find that beginning. And, and then the endings are important to figuring out beginnings as well, though, because, I mean, the first novel I ever wrote back when I was going to UBC doing my MFA there, I mean, it is my thesis at UBC, but it has never seen the light of day. Although I did cannibalize a few pieces of it for this book. (laughs) There's a section of this novel that's set in the 1980s during Expo 86 in Vancouver, and that came from that original thesis novel. So I did end up using that material. That novel, I started, at that point, I had only written short stories. And having only written short stories, I had this belief that a story had to evolve completely organically. Just follow your nose along until you get to the end. And you discover the end. And that way there's no formula involved. And that was the way I was going to write a novel. Well, it didn't work. Because I didn't know where I was going and I ended up going down all of these blind alleys and I could never find the ending. And so then I'd have to start over again and I'd take another run at it and then I'd have to start over again and I'd take another run at it. And by the time I was done, it was this huge, huge baggy monster that didn't have any architecture and didn't really hold together and it never really advance beyond that so what i learned was that and one of my first creative writing teachers said you have to know the ending you got to know the ending because you, then you know where you're heading it's like going on a trip and knowing well i'm going i i'm i'm in toronto and i'm going to san francisco so therefore i have to take these highways along the way now you don't know exactly where you're going to be when you get to san francisco but at least you have a way of getting there and then it can still grow organically once you get there it's not necessarily a formula but at least you had an idea of where that ending was and some people even write that ending so that they have something to go towards Uh, Of course, some people don't. Some people do subscribe to the whole organic idea, and they refuse to know their endings, apparently, and and just let the thing grow naturally and find their way there.
0: Yeah, for for many of the plotters, that's a great way of doing it, writing the end scene so that it's very clear in your mind how it's going to end, and then you work your way towards that, which is not to say you can't shift things around. If things change in the writing, then of course the ending can change, but certainly it it does give you a destination to arrive at, 100%.
2: And and then I guess the other thing to reassure people is that, or maybe to urge new writers, is that just like the beginning when you thought that you had written your beginning when really all you were doing was ramping up really all you were doing was building scaffolding which was was important writing but it, it was writing that you needed to actually be a lot of it needed to be pulled away and anything that was still needed needed to be put back into the novel later on the ending for me ended up being that way as well for this book that i thought i knew where it was going to end and in a sense i did know that there it, It was like it was San Francisco, or or in this case, it was Saskatchewan, because the novel ends in Saskatchewan. But in the old house where the main character Bentley grows up, I did always know that the novel ended there. But it wasn't until the very, very, very last draft that I came upon the idea that. They would actually drive there in the middle of the winter, and that there would be this Canadian road trip in the middle of, or at the beginning of January, that they have to go through. And it's this motley family that Bentley carries across the country in search of the beautiful place, the cryonics facility, where his grandfather's body is.
0: You know, so often we compare, we say that writing books are like puzzles and it's puzzle pieces you need to slot into place. But quite honestly, it's more like Tetris because a puzzle piece, there's only one part of the puzzle that it can go into. Whereas when you're making decisions about novels, there are virtually infinite number of decisions that you can make at any given point. So, you know, it really is like Tetris. It's moving the thing around and seeing where you want it, but that's not the only place it can fit. And I love what you said earlier about cannibalizing novels, you know, because there are things that I've written that then never got published. And I did go back and I found a particular description or a particular paragraph or a scenario that happened that I thought was compelling. And then moved that into the new book. So again, you know, very little is ever wasted as you build all of that scaffolding.
2: Anything else, Lee? No, that's very true, Bianca. And the other thing I find is that when you find that you have to cut out something because you know as they say kill all your babies get rid of something that doesn't work with i've often found that having to cut something out has given me some kind of key to the novel that i needed to find in that what what you're left with is this space like a, a river to use our travel metaphor, that you need to get across. You need to connect the one side of the story to the other side. So you start out just saying, okay, now how do I sew these two pieces together? And when you start to think about that and think about what's needed to connect those two things, all of a sudden the piece that you were missing, to go back to your puzzle metaphor, the piece that you were missing falls into place like Tetris. It just... Oh, yeah, that's what was missing from the novel. So in a way, your subconscious was telling you that maybe you wrote the piece that didn't work just so that it was a placeholder for whatever you needed that was going to work that you would discover later. Yeah, and, and that's
0: excellent advice for people who are busy with work in progress, who perhaps they've finished the book and, you know, readers are saying Mm, this isn't really working, I'm skimming here, I'm, I'm kind of skimming there, is to say, what are those integral scenes? What are the scenes that have to, have to, have to be there? And then you've got to figure out how to build the bridges between them to link everything together. Yeah, I love that suggestion as well. Was there anything else you wanted to add, Lee?
2: I guess just to say that for me, even though this journey was a very long one and took 12 years, and I guess this is really important, Advice for any writer because most writers go through this. It's a lonely journey where you're never sure whether you're going to find a publisher. Right now, it's really tough to find a publisher. And so, as I said before, I almost gave up at times. But I was able to find an editor in just the final year that this came together, and an old friend of mine from Saskatchewan, Liz Phillips, and we worked really well together. I ended up being very very happy with that new ending and the new beginning of course that I discovered and that the new ending is I think a very hopeful and a very happy ending as well and it, so it's my favorite ending of all of the books I've written so it was a journey that was well worth taking in the end and I'm I'm just really really happy with the way the book turned out. Now I just need to find out where to begin the new one because I am at that stage where I'm going, "Oh, okay, what am I going to write now? Do I really even need to do this anymore?" But then I start to feel a little <laughs> bit depressed and and I decide, "Yeah, yeah, you're a writer, you have to write another book, so you better figure out what you want to write."
0: yeah and we always think the next beginning is going to be easier because we've done this a few times and it never is but there's always such a rush with each new beginning as well so there's the terror and the what the hell am i doing but also that wonderful creative rush that comes with that as well which certainly makes the whole process worth it so lee thank you so much for your time thanks for sharing your wisdom and for our listeners we will put lee's book up on our bookshop.org affiliate page and you can find it there to purchase
3: My youngest son starts kindergarten this year. I can't believe it. One of the tricky things though about my kids being in French immersion school and me not having French as a language myself is worrying about how we're gonna assist with homework as they get bigger. Other language apps use speech recognition to detect what you said, but Rosetta Stone tells you how well you said it compared to native speakers. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Think about the cost of a one month language course. Think about the cost of a one hour private tutoring session. But with Rosetta Stone, you enjoy a lifetime membership and accessibility on desktop or app. And right now we have a special offer for you guys that is 50% off.
0: This is just a reminder about the courses we've got coming up. On the 5th of April, Carly is hosting an Identifying and Cultivating Your Author Brand webinar at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. On the 13th of April, I will be hosting a Leaning into Specificity webinar between 7 and 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And then on the 28th of April, Cece will be hosting a Writing Tension webinar at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. To sign up for those, go to my website, biancamaray.com and look under the courses tab. And then you've all been asking me for another writing group matchup or a beta reader matchup. And so I've decided to do the great beta reader matchup. Go to my website, biancamaray.com, look under the Beta Reader tab to get more information about how to sign up for that. Sign up for that is open between the 22nd of March and the 5th of April, although I do plan to host them monthly. Today's guest has been teaching meditation, yoga, Ayurveda, natural herbalism and other holistic wellness techniques for the past decade. He is one of the co-authors of Your Roadmap to Purpose, Desire and Destiny. He graduated from the Chopra Center, Dr. Deepak Chopra's Wellness Education Center with a certification in Ayurveda and works closely with his wife, keynote Chopra Center speaker, Dr. Melissa Carver. It's my pleasure to welcome Leo Carver. Leo, welcome to the show.
4: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And for our listeners today, The book that we're discussing, it's such a beautiful book. We don't often talk about the beauty of books on the show. And when we do, it's always linked to indie publishers, because I feel like indie publishers put so much more love and care into books because they do fewer of them than the big ones keep pushing out. It's called Growing Consciousness, The Gardener's Guide to Seeding the Soul. I saw it and I loved it so much that I actually bought a copy for a friend as a gift because it's just such a beautiful book and, and this friend loves gardening so uh, I knew he would absolutely love it so leo can you tell our listeners a bit about the inspiration for the book what made you want to write it and then we'll get into the whole process of it
4: yes yeah, so really to fully get into that answer it's 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 a loaded answer but I, i'll try to give you the the cliff notes to a degree here i've always been a nature lover and it wasn't until later in life that I really rediscovered and connected with it or reconnected with it because as as a child I would just spend hours outside, you know, as we all do, but it always had a spiritual understanding to me. My family speaks about when I was as, as young as 6, 7 years old going out and praying and just going out in the woods and and I think that was the foundation, but along my journey I can definitely expound on that as we go, if you uh, if you like. But I came across Ayurvedic medicine really out of a personal need. I was diagnosed with Crohn's in uh, 2008 or so. As many of us do when we experience autoimmune or any kind of gut-related issues, we turn to our diet, or at least you you should take a closer look at you know what are you eating, how are you eating, and and, and in doing that, and you know, with that simultaneously happening along with my education with the Chopra Center. We decided to go the route of the Ayurvedic program just because, you know, there was a personal element where it would help me with my issues and maybe I could learn a little something. And just in general, wanting to be a little bit healthier and being more mindful, especially with something like that hitting me. Ayurveda is this 5,000-year-old medical science that is largely based on herbalism. And so you know that that was right in line with a nature-conscious or a very aware of plant consciousness in particular, and the energy that goes into our herbs and, and things. And, and so it just all kind of went hand in hand. I eventually tried my hand at just planting a few simple foods and herbs in the garden, and that just grew into this love for it, and it all kind of just intuitively came together. And, and as far as how it became this book. Along the way, after we graduated, I started writing for the uh, Chopra blog. As we're getting ideas and and doing different subjects, you know, I started writing more about herbalism, and those actually ended up being some of my more popular um, articles. It kind of just bloomed into this book.
0: Wonderful. So for me, what I found so interesting was discovering that in terms of gut health, your gut is pretty much your second brain, and that so much of health issues down the line stem from. An imbalance in terms of gut health. So that was extremely interesting for me as well. I was born and raised in South Africa, grew up there. And in South Africa, there's a lot of land. So people own houses with gardens. And the garden was just something to kind of be manicured and we'd sort of sit there. And then we moved to Toronto, which is high rise buildings. And it blew me away the number of community gardens that there are in the city because people find it so therapeutic and especially. You know, during COVID, it was so important for people to be able to get out of these tiny boxes that we were living in and to be planting things and to be seeing things growing and see the efforts being rewarded in this way. And so it was really interesting for me to be able to see that. And I think for you, Leo, it's amazing how a health condition kind of brought you back to this love of something that you had as a child so that you could learn and expand on that.
4: Yes, definitely. I'm a firm believer that sometimes the universe, life, uh higher power, if you will, throws these challenges at you. And that, that's those challenges and how we deal with them are essentially a big part of how we grow. If you don't necessarily put a spiritual perspective on it, just in terms of consciousness and self awareness and as a person, we grow through these challenges. And so when I look back on that time, as hard as it was at times, I'm thankful that I had enough of a grounding and a foothold on my spirituality to turn that into a positive, something that I enjoy very much sharing with others now and seeing their their journey with it.
0: For our listeners, what Leo has said now it relates to our personal growth as human beings, etc. But remember, pretty much everything you learn on this podcast can be applied to writing, and it's the same when it comes to when we're writing fiction in terms of our characters growth arc. Remember that who the character becomes is through adversity. It's through the challenges that they face along the way, because there's no change without obstacles and without adversity. So something to apply there as well. So Leo, how many of these, because I'm always interested in the evolution of a project, because something like this, it's a big undertaking. And I'm sure you begin with some core things that you're going to begin with, And then you go, oh, I'm just going to expand this one thing. And then, oh, I need to expand this other thing. And so the book grows and grows. How many of these came purely from those blog posts so that just by blogging every week, I'm not sure how often you were blogging, how much of that were you able to go back to and go, wow, I've already got this huge body of work here just from the blogging that I was doing over this period of time?
4: Yes, that's a good question. Well, it's funny um, that you just mentioned the story arc and how that relates to the writing process, because one of the things I intentionally did with the, the structure of this book was tie in the elements. And if you'll notice every couple of chapters, there's sun, earth, water to relate to the gardening process. And then and in, in that way, telling a story, you know, while it's a nonfiction work, it's still has this story of a garden starting from a seed to harvest. Segwaying from that to answer your question, a lot of the information in there, it was based on some of the things that I had already written about in the blogs. However, thinking about it in this story arc way is what actually helped with the creative process. I feel like when you can see the entire project from start to finish, and you know it needs to go in the middle, it kind of tells its own story. You know it kind of comes together at least that's been my experience now i'm still a young writer you know in terms of work that i've done but you know i hope to continue to do this and specifically on this topic and just others that, that involve consciousness and 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 i will say that that helped me a lot in writing this one keeping that story in mind
0: excellent advice and so when you sat down to plan the book Was it that the structure came to you first and you were like, this is the structure, this is the kind of arc I want to take, and therefore I'm going to arrange all of my material around that? Or was it a case of brainstorming, going, these are all the things I want to do, and then going, okay, now that I know what I want to write about, how am I going to structure it? So it's like, what came first, the chicken or the egg kind of thing?
4: Yeah, well, you know, I think that by doing a book on gardening... And essentially, the story of the life cycle of a plant, as well as one's experience with that, it kind of it made that more of an intuitive process than one that I had to really brainstorm about. It was just the fact that I want to talk about gardening. I want people who are spiritual, but with maybe a passing interest in gardening to gravitate towards it. I want people who are hardcore gardeners and been doing it most of their life to see a spiritual tinge in it. I want to bring those two together. And so I knew that I had to bring everybody to what's really going on, which is this plant that you're growing or these plants, this, this plot of land. Essentially, these other forms of consciousness, these life forms that, that you are forming this relationship with, that's also nourishing your, your body and providing medicine and things for you and your use, but you're also taking care of because that's what all of it boils down to one way or another. I want you to get your hands in the soil. Right now, we're at the beginning of the season, so it's a good time to dive into it and maybe put some of these things to practice. But to answer your question, I think that that just kind of helped. It wasn't so much of a thought process as a recognition of what I'm trying to get across.
0: It's great that for Leo, that it was just so intrinsic to his process that he able to get there. But for many of our listeners, no matter what nonfiction you're writing, whether it's memoir, whether it's something like this, whether it's a book about music in the 80s, whatever it is, sometimes the hardest part of it is figuring out that structure because some stories can be told in a very linear way. This is where we begin and this is where it ends. Others, you may have to start in the future, then go back to the past, etc., etc. So that's a big part of the process. And some people come to it by gathering all of this material and going, well, this is all the material I have now. How the heck am I going to structure it? And for other people like Leo, it's much more intuitive, uh, and that comes at the beginning. So, Leo, did you have to get an agent to sell this book? Did you know a publisher? Did you have to write a proposal? So for our listeners who are thinking of doing something like this, could you give them a bit of a roadmap in terms of how this process worked for you?
4: Yes, so I was contacted, actually, by... A representative of uh, Mandala, my publisher, and uh, they had an interest in doing something in this realm already. And so he essentially took on the role of an agent as far as helping me to get through the proposal, which I did write one for this. Although it was already kind of spoken of and we were starting to form this idea just to um, get everything together and to move along in the business side of the process, I put together a proposal and he he was definitely helpful in that.
0: In terms of doing the proposal, I've heard some people speak about it as being a very laborious process, that there's so much detail that has to go into that. It's almost the equivalent of writing the book just to do the proposal. Do you have any tips for our listeners there in terms of how you approached that? Was it like you had to look up how to do a book proposal and then figure it out for yourself? How did that go?
4: Yes, that was probably the most tedious part of all. Honestly, I will agree with anyone who who would say that that you know you enjoy writing the book, even though it can have its own stresses and repetition to it. It could get you out, there and you might have to find your creative groove at times and things. But at the same time, you're doing this because you enjoy it or you have a passion for it. Whereas writing the proposal is not something that most people have a passion for. And so, yes, even though I I there was already an idea in place and kind of a skeleton for me to fill. The book itself creatively. And I was able to use that to some degree with the proposal in, in terms of the narrative of it and everything in and, and the pitch. But there's so much to it. And any good agent or person that would look at a proposal and try to help you in that way is going to tell you that you want to make sure you hit all these things. You want this to be a complete leave no questions asked. They know exactly what they're going to get and what they're getting into when they read this proposal. And so, yes, it's a very, very, very tedious process. That you know?
0: puts me off doing anything that involves a proposal.
4: Uh, well, I... you know, I hate to I hate to make it sound bad because it's definitely worth it. But if you're not a very analytical, detailed type person, and, and you know, a lot of times us creatives are not, you know, <laughs> it's a struggle. But there are templates and things I was able to look up online and then also just... Once you have the structure, if you it did help me to have a skeleton of my book. I would recommend that to go ahead and form your thought. And the more fully you can form your thought, that will help you in terms of filling in all these details in the proposal for sure.
0: Yeah, and the two go hand in hand. So for those of us who write fiction, it's much easier to make shit up. But in terms of if we write fiction, we have to write a synopsis. And the synopsis is a very separate thing to the work of fiction we've created, whereas writing nonfiction and doing that proposal, the two really go hand in hand. And I think it makes that process easier. In terms of how long it took you, Leo, and how much say did you have in terms of the layout of the book? Because it's got beautiful drawings and things like that. The cover's really gorgeous. So how much of that was you? How much of that was the publisher? And how long did the whole process take?
4: Well, the process I'd say, I say roughly nine months, but I had some challenges going there to where I I wasn't able to totally focus on just writing. I had a pretty uh, full work schedule. I had to do this a little bit by little bit, and it took a lot of dedication. You know, even if it was just that hour, two hours at the end of the workday in the evening, let me do something towards it. And I had to have that kind of dedication for those nine months. As far as the book itself, like the way it looks and everything, I have to give credit to Mandala and their team because they put this together. I was involved in terms of having me review graphics as it was developed. Okay, different things, but I have to give them kudos for that because it is a very visually appealing book. You know, that was the first thing I thought when I saw it, like, oh, this this is gorgeous.
0: It really is a thing of beauty, which is wonderful because the contents are things of beauty as well. So I love that the outside of it reflects that. Nine months, it isn't a long time, especially considering that you were working full-time. And for our listeners, I love what Leo has said, because for many of us, the challenge is finding the time to sit down and write. And I mean, I should essentially be a full-time author, but this podcast takes up so much of my time and I teach creative writing and I do other things. And there's weeks that I just really just don't have time to sit down, bum in chair, write but an hour here an hour there all of that really it stacks up for our listeners look at this book you'll see how jam-packed full of amazing content it is and to think that Leo actually managed that in nine months part-time is is pretty mind-boggling so it speaks to the power of stealing that time for yourself prioritizing it and putting that together
4: I will say it helped that I couldn't stand my job (laughs) if anyone's out there and you need that extra motivation when you're dealing with those stresses at work when you're dealing with those circumstances that are just testing you every day transfer that energy into creativity I say that to anyone because that helped me a lot those times when it was hard for me to write or maybe the words weren't even coming to me and I wasn't able to necessarily write but I could do something towards it I would make you know use that time for that. Well, maybe I'll use this for editing time. Maybe I'll go back and uh work on a different part of the book instead of focusing on a linear schedule. And and so I, I just put that out there because I'm sure someone needs to hear that. If you are struggling with it like, you know, I wanna write this book, but I have this and this going on. Remember every time someone gets on your nerves at work or, you know, you you're up to your neck and in all this stress, what's my way out? What's my creative outlet? What can I do? positive that I'm going to give the world and possibly even help myself out of this situation. Let me put some time in the writing.
0: I love that you've said that because for me, my writing's always kind of served as my pressure valve. It's like having a pressure cooker and turning that valve and all of that pressure comes out and it's directed in terms of the creative process. Leo, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. It's been wonderful chatting to you. For our listeners, Growing Consciousness, The Gardener's Guide to Seeding the Soul, We will put it up on our bookshop.org affiliate page so that you can follow the link there so that you can support Leo, so that you can support an indie publisher, and you can support an indie bookstore, and you can support the podcast at the same time. Thanks so much, Leo.
5: Yes,
4: thank you for having me.
0: Calling all memoirists. I'm so excited to let you know that I've put together an incredible all-about memoir lineup To see the awesome lineup and to register, go to biancamaray.com. There's an early bird promotion for the first 50 delegates who sign up. Come and join us and get your memoir groove on. Hi everyone, welcome to another segment in which we pick a marvelous bookseller's brain as we ask them about your comps. Just a bit of a bio, today's bookseller is an avid reader, grammar nerd and bookseller at bookends in Winchester, Massachusetts where she has worn many hats. She has been frontless buyer, event guru, and is currently enjoying her time as social media manager and hoarder of advanced book copies. Anytime she doesn't spend reading, she spends enjoying carbs, slow walks outdoors, and debating multiverse theory with her 10-year-old son. It's my pleasure to welcome Emily Schwab. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you so much,
6: Bianca. I'm glad to be
0: here. It's lovely to see you yes you too for our listeners emily and i have chatted a lot on social media and she once sent me the most amazing pair of socks with tacos on them (laughs) which are now officially my favorite socks ever so it's wonderful for her and i to have this excuse to be sitting and and chatting today so emily we're gonna dive straight in sure
7: Hey, so this is about my book, The Isle of Sinking Stars, which is a second world fantasy from five different points of view. In it, we have magic that is gifted and magic that can be obtained in trade, but trade magic will never be as strong as gift magic. So in Aeos, which is the center of our story, the soldiers owe their abilities to gift magic, and these powers hold the line against the imperious incursion of the Exos Empire. And we enter the story where our Chosen One, The most powerful soldier in IOS gets murdered by her best friend. And the best friend, whose name is Zeta, is the main character. And she's actually struggled to be a good soldier and has been bullied for it. And now she's a wanted criminal on the run with a trade magic artifact that could beat the imperialist empire. So as the story continues, we have the four other points of view. A reporter, a captain, an assassin, and a motley rebel band. And it kind of solves the puzzle backwards.
0: Why don't you tell us what you think of the first request? Sure. The first one made me think of
6: Magic for Liars by Sarah Gailey for the magic theme going through the book. And the second one is sort of a different approach. The multi-point of view and the sort of fantasy. This one is not second world fantasy, but the book I'm thinking of is Hollow Kingdom by Kara Jane Buxton. And just the creativity with which she puts the multiple points of view into the same story is a great comp, I think, for this
0: book. Amazing. Thank you. Okay,
7: second one. Hi, Bianca, Carly, and Cece. I absolutely adore your podcast. Thank you so much for offering the service, as I feel like comps are the thing I struggle with the most for my query. My novel is a work of accessible literary historical fiction that takes place in 1849 Victorian England it's also a love story. Within our themes of feminism and challenging tradition, and my protagonist is a strong, unconventional woman, I also focus a lot on world and character building. I believe I have one good comp in the signature of all things, but I've struggled to find another. Thank you so much for your help. All the best, Megan.
0: Why don't you tell us what you think of the request? The second one, I really like
6: The Other Einstein by Mary Benedict for the feminism and challenging traditions in a nice literary historical fiction piece. The second one I really like for this one is actually Deanna Rayburn's Veronica Speedwell series, because it's set in London in the 1800s. The themes are like all the same. You know, there's love and feminism, challenging traditions again such a great read I would definitely look at that one as well
0: yeah and there's like what 12 books how many books are in that series already I've only read the
6: first one and it was wonderful and but there are a ton of them and I think I mean at
0: least eight I'm not sure exactly how many yeah and for our listeners we will be having the author on the podcast later this year when she brings out her latest book so we'll be picking her brain then as well so that's awesome look forward to that everyone Glad you mentioned that, Emily. Okay, next
2: one. Comps are harder than writing a 200-page manuscript for me. I'm not happy with the comps I have for a Bildungsroman covering a half century. I call it his half century of adolescence. Someone comes of age, nerdy kid, learns how to love, how to talk to women, and travels around the world and finally has a happy landing, if not a happy ending.
6: The next one, I'm really hitting the nerd romance hard with this one, with um, Anything by Allie Hazelwood. The Love Hypothesis was such a great example of how to marry those two genres, sort of romance with nerds, which was really wonderfully done. And in terms of the coming-of-age character change journey, I like The Vanishing Half by Brit Bennett quite a bit. There are a lot of different themes in that one, but I think that that
0: one should also be looked at. Wonderful. Yeah. And remember, you know, for our listeners, when you are comping, you can say specifically, you know, that this particular comp is for X and Y and this particular comp is for tone or for whatever the case may be. So so these are all things, you know, that you can get specific with.
8: Okay, next one. My novel is literary and also historical fiction. It takes place in 1915 Atlanta, but it's also magical realism. There's a golem. It is highly lyrical And it is told by a group of teenage girls who are obsessed with the Leo Frank trial and subsequent lynching. They try, after Frank is lynched, to make a golem in his image, and things go pretty haywire. It's really concerned with questions of teaching language and ownership and responsibility and capital T Truth hope you can help me. It's, I think it's a tough one. Okay, Emily. For
6: this one, oh, this one is a good one. I really like the, I'm pulling the magical realism request into the Sharks in the Time of Saviors by Kawhi Strong Washburn. The magical realism is really strong there. And there's also the author is requesting a comp for like searching for truth and ownership and like Things like that. And those themes also really come out very strongly in Kawhi Shang Washburn's book. So the other one I wanted to go for, because of the geographic similarities and time period, is Kim Michelle Richardson's book, "Woman of Troublesome Creek, because I really liked that one a lot. And I think it, it has some of the same themes.
0: Wonderful. But now, wasn't there a lot of drama at that point where people said that that book and Jojo Moy's book were super similar? So maybe this person can actually decide if they want to go with that one or if they want to go with the Jojo Moyes one.
6: Exactly. They're similar. Admittedly, I haven't read the other one, but Kim Michelle Richardson was really good and I got a lot out of that one. So definitely either one would probably work for the theme.
0: I'm trying to think what Jojo Moyes' book was called. I can't remember, but... um, Giver
6: of Stars, I think.
0: Ah, yeah, Giver of Stars. And yeah, there was a lot of controversy, as I think the one author said that she'd done it first. And I don't know, there was a bit of backwards and forwards with that. So
6: Exactly. You know, something of interest to bring up. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, it's not
0: often there are literary feuds, so we get excited (laughs) when they happen. Okay, Okay. next one.
8: Hello. Uh, My book is a commercial fiction novel with supernatural elements. So there are ghosts involved that are integral to the plot, but it's not necessarily a horror story. The two main characters dated in college and then broke up, and she ended up having a child but never telling the guy. The child eventually dies just before he finds out about the boy six years later, and then the boy starts haunting his mother. Anyways, thanks so much for your help.
6: Okay, the next one, I'm going to go with Tuesday Mooney Talks to Ghosts by Kate Rakulian. I think I'm pronouncing that right. That's a nice, not like a horror, but a ghost-themed book. And the second one in which a ghost haunts a sister instead of the mother in this case, but that would be Sing Unburied Sing by Jasmine Ward. That would also be a really good one.
0: Wonderful. And yeah, that that's definitely more literary. So again, it's, you know, it kind of depends on the vibe that the author's going for.
6: Exactly. It depends a lot on
0: that. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Next one.
2: Hi, my name's Caius. I'm looking for comps for my novel. It's a fantasy legal thriller called, in the matter of Oxyartes: a dragon. In a world on the cusp of magical renaissance, a dragon widower hires a PTSD suffering adventurer, now attorney, to sue the crown prince who murdered the dragon's family and stole their treasure. It's the same prince who
8: ruined the attorney's life years ago. Together, they have a chance for justice or vengeance.
6: The the next one, I want to pull out the dragon. Actually, for dragons, royals, and conspiracies, this first one by Kay Elliott, it's called Servant Mage. And that covers all those bases. And I think that that might be an interesting comp for this author and for the legal thriller, like accessible legal thriller part, I would try Miracle Creek by Angie Kim because that's definitely, you know, mainstream enough that I think it would be something interesting to compare.
0: Yeah, I remember enjoying Miracle Creek and it got a lot of buzz when it came out. Tons of buzz, yeah. Okay, next one. Adult sci-fi romantic subplot. An amnesiac man awakes in a psychiatric hospital only to discover that sketches of a female patient's hallucinations the clue to his identity.
6: Next one for sci fi romance, I want to start with The Kindred by Alicia Dow. And for the sci fi amnesia, I would go with one of my favorite books of last year, Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. Now, that's like, and it's a different kind of comp, but I would definitely look at the amnesia part
0: of that and how it was handled. I don't even think that book's been on my radar. I don't even remember seeing oh. that book. Maybe I'll recognize oh the cover. I think I
6: have it in the stack. I, I'm not going to move the stack because everything's going to fall down, but I would show you the cover. <laughs> it's really good.
0: It's great. Okay, next
6: one. <laughs> this is
3: a love story based on a true story of a backwoods gal and a Jewish officer during World War II. Although his family rejects her, the lovers triumph in the end because of her refusal to give up. It's historical fiction with romance elements. I'd love to hear your comps. Thank you.
6: Next one. I will love triumphs over all sorts of odds. First of all, try Time After Time by Lisa Grunwald. That's set in World War II time period, but it's more like love triumphs over chronological obstacles and challenges. But it was really a fascinating book. And the second one love does triumph over family hindrances in this one called maybe one day by Debbie Johnson. That was very good. Wonderful.
9: Thank you. Okay. Next one. Hello, Bianca, CC and Carly and mystery bookseller. I'm being brave this morning in the hopes of getting a comp recommendation for my 81,000 word upmarket contemporary adult with a punch of disaster thriller in redacted, a pregnant Seattle artist plans to leave her husband while he's away on a business trip but instead she and her family find themselves fighting for their lives when the cascade mega quake hits. I'm currently using Malibu Rising because it's a multi-point of view family saga spanning a single day, just like my novel, and Night Bitch because it's an ode to the madness simmering beneath modern motherhood's bland surface, just like my novel. The problem is Malibu Rising is billed as near historical and Night Bitch is billed as literary and my novel is upmarket. So I'm wondering if there's something better out there or if I can even get away with using these So this one, we had
6: two comps to work with, right? So I agree. I think that either one would be fine, despite the genre clash a little bit. I think that's close enough in my mind to go with either Malibu Rising, which I have read and I love, and I definitely agree with the comparison there. I haven't read Night Bitch, so... I thought of a couple more that you could use instead for, or in addition, for the motherhood, parenthood, like, what was this say The madness simmering beneath modern motherhood's bland surface. To really hit at that, I would either go with The Need by Helen Phillips, which definitely, definitely showed that one or Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson, which was which was a little bit more upmarket than the need, in my mind, at least. And I think that it was a very strange take on parenting. And that was a very interesting one, I, I would
0: consider that. That was the one where the kids spontaneously burst <laughs> into flames, right?
6: Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. The, the kids burst into flames, you know, spontaneously, but
8: Otherwise, it yeah. was normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I
0: really enjoyed that one. Although I really did not like that cover. Oh, I, well. I felt <laughs> oh like my. that cover did not do that book any justice. That's but yeah, insane. I, I yeah. thoroughly enjoyed that book. Again, okay, yeah. next one. Hello. My
3: book is about three women trapped in a basement. And one of the women is the abductor. And the reason why she's abducted the other two women is she wants them to one of them to homeschool her two teenage niece and nephew. One of the women is a social worker. The other one is a anorexic runner. So they live in the basement for over two weeks. And they're wondering if there's any way out.
6: Okay, so trapped in a basement, I am going with a couple books that well, okay. One, the first book is Girl A by Abigail Dean. That was more of a ramifications of what happens after everyone has been trapped and a little bit of looking back at how it was, but it's mostly after the rescue. That was really well done. The other thing I'm going with is not a book this time. It's actually uh, similar to to Girl A in terms of the after effects of what was happening during the time period that where they were trapped. This would be Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. That's a, the Netflix show. And that really, you know, if they're not familiar, that's kind of young woman was imprisoned by a cult during her youth for years and years and years, and then she was released into New York City and hilarity ensues. And so the, the after effects of the trapping in the basement might be interesting to look at
0: yeah yeah that and that's very much if it's more of like a comedic kind of right exactly it's hard to know from the
6: the description sometimes but yes exactly if it's more of a
0: comedic slant that would be a good one to look at yeah titus andromedon is my favorite character
5: in that (laughs) show he's amazing he's awesome he's great yeah okay next one ashes to ashes women's fiction best-selling author ellen foster is found dead at the bottom of a swimming pool At her memorial service, her husband shocks her best friend, Meredith Gallagher, by handing her the urn with Ellen's remains, along with a letter. He explains that Ellen left instructions the day she died that her ashes were to be with Meredith, not her husband or her beloved stepson. After reading the letter, Meredith understands the strange request and final wish. She must travel to 30A along with a group of Ellen's friends and spread the ashes in the Gulf of Mexico on their yearly girls' trip. Now stuck in Ellen's beach house, the women struggle to find out why Ellen would do such a thing. She had the perfect life. However, as the week goes on, they begin discovering dark secrets from Ellen's past. But Ellen's not the only one with skeletons in the closet. They all have them, and they're desperate to keep them hidden from one another.
6: Okay. Oh, this is good. Okay, so for the old friends and dark secrets theme, one of my long time, very favorite authors for 25 years (laughs) has been one of my favorite authors. It's uh, Long Black Veil by Jennifer Boylan. And she wrote about old friends getting together and all these secrets coming out and some spooky things happening. And I think that that would be a really interesting comp that recently came out. And the other one is more of a family secrets coming out during travel. That would be One Italian Summer by Rebecca Searle. And so daughter goes on vacation and learns a lot about her mother in the process. Things that I don't think she was ever intended to know. So I think that was an interesting take on that. That might be a good call. Wonderful. Thank Mm. you. Okay,
0: next one.
8: Hi there, and thanks for taking my question. My book
2: is a book club fiction, upmarket fiction, a little bit of literary fiction. And the story is about a guy in his 40s who goes – back to his hometown to care for his dying father, meets a woman, falls in love. She's a transgender woman. There's a incident that occurs that her place of business is firebombed, and they have to set about to figure out who firebombed the place, and they have to sort out what to do about it once they discover how that happens. Plus, they uh, fall in love and live happily ever after. So I hope you can help me with this. My name is Rob.
8: Thank you.
6: Okay, so this one, I, I would recommend Lessons in Love and Other Crimes by Elizabeth Chakrabarty for the comparison with queer love and hate crimes in that book. And I think that that was really well handled, and that would be an interesting comp for this. The other one I came up with was more, admittedly, more of a YA, Felix Ever After by Case and Calendar. So well done does have like the happy ever after that we're talking about here and much more of again a transgender theme that might be another interesting comp for that
0: yeah and that book did incredibly well and that was a mm-hmm. stunning stunning cover yeah oh i know that's right talking about covers that one was a
6: really good one gorgeous and very artsy just like the main character so i thought yeah
0: beautiful yeah. okay next
8: one Hi, y'all. Thank you so much for doing this. It's Erin, and I've had such a hard time finding comps, so thanks again. My Work in Progress is a historical fiction set in the Republic of Texas in the 1840s and starts with a marriage between an established settler's daughter and a young Apache warrior. The couple travels as she acclimates to his people, but when they find themselves involved in a shocking massacre that changes their trajectory, He joins forces with the Texas Rangers, and she is left at her settlement with the women ready to defend their home during the biggest retaliatory raid in the history of Texas. It's a love story, but it's not a romance. It's in what could be considered the Wild West, but it's not a Western. It attempts to tell the story of Texas from both the perspective of the settlers and from the Leap on Apache perspective. In addition to being first-person POV from the female protagonist, it's also told from the POV of the land around them. So I have no idea where it fits or what I should be reading for comps. Thank you guys for your help.
6: So I love the idea of the land having a point of view for the comp for this one. I wanted to go with the Cactus League by Emily Nemmins. It is set in Arizona and the focus is on a baseball team and the people surrounding it. But it was so well rooted in Arizona and I felt like the land was like part of it. And I thought that that would be a great comp for that. And similarly, Upright Women Wanted, another one by Sarah Gailey. <laughs> this one was hers about, it hit me that it was about the West, but not a Western, just like requested them the comp. So hopefully either one of those would help.
0: Amazing. How many have we got left? That's it. That's it. Wow. We got That's through it brilliantly. Yeah. Wonderful Emily, thank you so much for taking the time to do this for us. If any of our listeners are out there near the bookstore, you please go out and and say hi to Emily and support the independent bookstores because it's wonderful that these booksellers are taking time out of their hectic schedules to help all of you, so please try and pay that forward. Thanks so much for joining us, Emily. <laughs> thank you, Bianca. And that's it for today's episode. I hope you'll join us for next week's show. In the meantime, keep at it. Remember,